Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. There are some iconic beer bars in America, and on the Mount Rushmore is Hopleaf, the venerable Chicago institution. Michael Roper, it's a longtime publican who recently announced his retirement, is my guest today. He'll be coming up in just a moment. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. Listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. If you go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer, a few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, we're brought to you by the Best of Craft Beer Awards. Attention Brewers. Registration is now open for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards. Now in its 10th year, this is a BJCP-sanctioned event judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders. Judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. In addition to traditional styles, new this year is the Smoothie Sour Style category and the Collaboration Competition. Learn more and register your beers through January 31st, 2024 by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. I've wanted to do this episode uh, separate from the annual State of Beer Bar show because the occasion deserves its own dedicated time. Late last year, Michael Roper, who founded Hopleaf in Chicago in 1992, announced that he'd be retiring from the bar. He'll stay involved in various other ways, as you'll hear shortly, but the day-to-day -day is now the responsibility of others. His retirement came on the occasion of his 70th birthday, and we recorded this episode a week after. It's hard to overstate the importance of the Hopleaf in terms of beer bars in America. Located in the city's Andersonville neighborhood, it's been the place for a well-curated and uncompromising beer list and an equally thoughtful food menu. Roper will walk us through the history of the bar, thoughts for the future of hospitality, and along the way, he gives us a reason to strive for better bar experiences. Here's our conversation. Michael, welcome back to the show. We've, we've had the conversations in the past about the state of beer bars in America. Um, and I obviously want to talk about the business uh, and, and, and where things stand in, in a moment, but I'd love to go back to the beginning and to, to sort of hear where the idea to become a publican first crossed your mind. Well, um, you know, I was, um, you know, I got out of high school without a lot of plans to, uh, you know, what, what my career was going to be, what my life was going to be. And uh, like many people, uh, you know, I started going to um, university with, uh, um, you know, sort of random majors chosen and taking classes here and there. Um, so I didn't have a real path. Um, you know, my family was not involved in any aspect of the hospitality industry. So, you know, I wasn't following in my dad's footprints. So uh, he, he was, a uh, he worked as a skilled machinist in a machine shop. 
Um, so um, I got a job um, working as a waiter in a tavern um, near Wayne State University in Detroit. And, um, you know, I, I kind of liked it. And uh, uh, I was offered the chance after a few months to go behind the bar. Um, the bar that I was working at had some interesting products. It was a very successful place. It was run by some rather visionary owners. And uh, so I, I learned a lot. And um, I, you know, over the next few months or so, I started to see that maybe, um, maybe my life's work was not going to be something I learned in uh, school, um, <laughs> but was going to be um, in the tavern trade. Um, you know, about a year later, I had an opportunity to work at another place. I was actually working at two bars at one time and going to college. Um, and uh, the second place kind of stole me away from the first place. And um, and then I, I, it kind of became a path. Um, you know, I had a chance a little while later to be the night manager uh, and started uh, you know, ordering uh, product and scheduling people. And, um, and then from there, um, there was sort of no going back. There's a whole bunch of things that I want to sort of look at uh, talk about that, but it, it's interesting when you were saying um things that you weren't necessarily going to learn in school uh, by getting into the tavern business. And obviously there, you know, you, I, I'm sure folks could take business classes or you can take, there's hospitality courses and, and degrees now that you can get from, uh, from universities. Um, from the education standpoint though, because obviously when I'm talking to brewers, you know, they're going to brewing school or, you know, there, there's, there's all of that that exists. Are there, classes courses that you would recommend the next generation of potential bar owners tavern owners should think about before they get into it absolutely. now now knowing what you know absolutely you know i think that um i would have avoided a lot of mistakes had i had some background in you know like you know business accounting and, uh, you know, some, some basic things that, you know, even though I'm not going to be necessarily working in a kitchen, I think that there's some culinary training that would have been helpful. I think that restaurant management courses that would have been very helpful. I will also say that the business is much more complicated now than it was in the 1970s. And, um, there's also so much more technology uh, involved. So, uh, you know, I feel kind of, you know, sometimes a little lost uh, when dealing with some of the uh, technology that is now uh, an absolute necessity in, uh, in this business. So I, I think that, you know, the way that I um, came up in 
in the business is kind of extinct. I think that now uh, it helps to be uh, more expert in um, many fields uh, than, than I was. I had to learn by doing, which meant that maybe I made some mistakes that I would hope that somebody starting out today would be able to avoid by getting a little, you know, education. And I, I, I will say that I think that uh, people should probably do both things. If you're going to uh, restaurant management um, classes and in culinary school and all that kind of thing, I think it's really smart to, um, you know, at the same time, um, have a job, uh, you know, maybe in a, a neighborhood bar or in a pizzeria or whatever, so that you kind of are working at it from both ways. Yeah. Is there anything that can prepare you for the human element for the, for the customers? I, I kind of think that that is the one uh, aspect of being a successful publican that you are born with. Uh, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think that you can teach um, someone t about conviviality and <laughs> um, hospitality uh, in, you know, in the, you know, the one-to-one -one relationships that you have with your customers, with your, with your staff, uh, with your vendors um, all those kind of things, um, I, I think you're born with, you know, you, you have that kind of personality. You have to be outgoing. You, you, you know, like there are not very many successful publicans who are introverts, you know, uh, you, you have to be kind of a natural, I think having the, the gift of gab is really important. Um, you know, when you're when you're behind the bar and, you know, all kinds of people are coming in with all kinds of interest, uh, you have to be able to, you know, talk about a lot of different things. Um, you have to be able to spark a conversation. Um, maybe, you know, you're you're that particular night. There's a bunch of people sitting in the stools who aren't really um, mixing well. You have to enter the fray and get them talking to each other by bringing up something that you think they might all be interested in. Um, you know, I, I think that, that there is like many, you know, fields um, there's, there's a certain element uh, to success that you're kind of born with. I imagine you don't have the number of, how many employee interviews you've done over the years? Oh. Um. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, so many that it is countless at this point. Hmm. Is there something that you look for immediately? Or is there is there something that if somebody walks in and they demonstrate, I don't know, a certain quality, a, a certain act, a certain whatever, um, that you know it's going to be a potential fit versus immediately like, oh, this probably isn't going to work out? Um, you know, I mean, I in general, I think I I there's some things I look for. I will say that 
um, you know, in all the thousands of people that I have uh, interviewed and hired or not hired, um, you know, of course, I've made some mistakes. Somebody I, I read wrong um, who wasn't a good fit. But more often than not, um, you know, I I think that the first thing that strikes me when I when I talk to somebody is sort of the the ease they have uh, of you know uh, you know meeting a person they don't know and um, you know they feel comfortable they feel confident um, they seem to have a sense of humor um, you know the the skills of you know making cocktails and learning about you know the the beers and wines and spirits that we sell and all that those things can be learned um and and it helps if the person has um some experience but you know the the first defining factor of whether someone is going to work out is sort of a judge of like uh does this person um fit in with our clientele would they be um you know, help to make people feel welcome. Um, are they friendly? Are they um, are they smart? Um, I I think you know when I chat with people, I tend to like to bring up a variety of topics, and it's like, are, is this person like able to you know to to chat with all kinds of people? about all kinds of things while at the same time giving them great service. Um, and, you know, I, I might talk about their knowledge of, or, you know, not just their knowledge of beer, wine and spirits, but also um, their passion for it. You know, someone that um, just looks at this selling beer to people as if it's no different than, you know, selling uh, uh, nuts and bolts at a hardware store, that that's not going to work. Um, I like people that have a, a genuine interest in, um, you know, what we do, what we sell and what we are. I also like to think that, you know, in, in places like ours, you know, we're part of a neighborhood um, and we, we have this, you know, neighborhood pub institution um, to care for and to cultivate. So I like that, you know, that people have a good idea where they are, you know, what, what, you know, what is this neighborhood all about? Who lives here? Why do they live here? Um, a little bit about the history of the neighborhood over the last, you know, many, many decades. So I think that knowing a little bit about, uh, our part of the city, uh, you know, people come into a bar and they hang out a little bit and they say, you know, I, I have an appointment in at such and such a place. What's the best way to get there? And you know, it's like, I don't want to hire somebody that says, I have no idea. You know? Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, like that, that, you don't want somebody that like, Oh, you know, like, I think really it's really hard to park around there. Take the 22 bus and you know, you'll, you'll be better off. I like that. Um, and I want to talk about the neighborhood and I want to talk about the bar. Um, but just on the sort of vein of um, people walking through your door, 
and having the conversation with them. In addition to employee interviews, I imagine you've had countless sales rep reps or brewers walking through with their new beers. You know, just the explosive growth of of, of beer over the last uh, thirty or so years. Um, is there something that you wish more beer sales reps or brewers who are doing their sales, uh, their own sales, would do before they walked into your door? Well, you know, the it it's really, really gotten crowded out there uh, in the last, you know, seven or eight years where, you know, our, our metropolitan area has 250 breweries now. Yeah. And all of them would love to have their beer at the Hopleaf. And at the same time, there are imported beers and there are, you know, beers from Colorado and California and Oregon that also really, really want their beer at Hopleaf. So it, you know, like uh, Monday and Tuesday mornings can be pretty crowded in here with people walking in with a six pack and uh, hoping that I'm going to try their beer. And so, uh, first of all, I want them to make an appointment. Uh, you know, just walking in is sometimes it's like I don't I don't really have time to see you. Uh, or even worse is that sometimes people just drop off a six pack with a business card taped to the top of it. And, you know, I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about their beer. I don't know anything, uh, about, you know, why they're in the business and all that kind of stuff. So I think making an appointment where I will actually have, you know, schedule, you know, 20 minutes or a half an hour to, talk about your brewery, um, perhaps sample um, a couple of, uh, of your beers. Uh, and, you know, that's the way to, you know, the better way to maybe get one of your beers uh, on tap at the Hopleaf. Um, so, you know, make an appointment. And I also think that, you know, in these days when it is so crowded out there, you, uh, you need to have the right person on the street um, because, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's five equal, equally good Kolsch's being offered to me <laughs> in a day. Yeah. And what's going to make a difference between the one that I choose and the four that I don't choose to put on tap? If they're all really good, um, it's going to be the story behind them that's going to make the difference. It's going to be the personality of the brewery owner or the salesperson that's going to make one um, shine over the other ones. I can't tap all five, even though they might all be excellent beers. Um, so you know, how the beer is presented to me and who presents it and the story that they tell about the brewery, uh, about the founder, about the brewers, um, that's going to be what makes the difference. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, sometimes if 
if somebody approaches me about their beer and I really, really like them, uh, you know, it's much more likely than if somebody comes in and I kind of get the sense they're, they're kind of a jerk, you know, I, I'm probably not going to carry their beer. Yeah. Um, there's other factors, um, that have come to play in the last few years of that, about what I take and don't take. So, you know, some breweries that are not too far from me, uh, have chosen to, you know, get, uh, a different kind of license. It's not just like a tap room, but you know, they're like a, a full on brew pub in which they, are selling spirits and wine and food and cider and other people's beers. They have table service. Um, they're open late. They have lunch. And I feel like I really don't care how good your beer is. You are competing with me in every single category. So I'm probably not going to take your beer because in some ways I'm subsidizing my competition. Yeah. You know, if I understand that the successful business model for a brewery now is you really have to have a tap room, but you know, the classic tap room usually is a little sparse on food and usually does not carry uh, cocktails and uh, wine by the glass and all things like that. So if you are competing with me in every single category, I'm going to let you stand on your own because it seems like that's what you want to do. Um, so, you know, that's some, sometimes a bitter pill um, that I have to offer to somebody. I said, you know, I like your beer, but you know, you're, you know, you're 10 blocks from me and you are actually competing for the same customer that I am competing for. And so I, I don't feel that it's a pretty, it, it doesn't make sense for me um, to carry your beer any more than it does for me to carry the pizza of the place a couple blocks from me, even though I have a full kitchen, you know? Yeah. And that's, I guess, been one of the big complicating factors of the beer bars in America, which were for a long time and I think still should be a destination for beer drinkers, for variety, for education, for the, the, the experiences. And I wonder if you can take me back just a little bit to when you were getting ready to open Hop Leaf and what you wanted it to be then and where it is now. And if, those two timelines still sort of score with each other. Well, I mean, you know, um, we were very small when we started, we had 60 seats. We did not sell food. Uh, we didn't have room for a kitchen. Um, ultimately I always wanted to expand, uh, into the rest of the building and put, put a kitchen in. But in the beginning we were very small and, uh, there were certain things that I felt were important parts of being a successful uh, bar that I wanted to include. But I also um, 
because I had worked in other people's bars for almost a decade prior to that is um, I, I, I wanted to do some things that were a little um, a little edgy in some ways and, and not uh, typical. Um, I decided, you know, you know, we're, we're not going to be a sports bar. Uh, and the only way to not be a sports bar is to not have any television sets, uh, no screens. Um, we wanted people to come in and, and, and drink and talk. And I always, what a novel concept. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And later it was, you know, drink, eat and talk, but I, I felt like too many bars, they're trying to please everybody by doing everything. Uh, and you know, they've got pinball machines and they've got karaoke night and, and there's, you know, like 30 plasma TVs on the wall and there's a football pool and, you know, just too much stuff going on. And I, I felt like, I think that there's a place for, uh, a bar that, you know, doesn't have all that. Some people maybe want to get away from uh, that sort of thing and, and just, you know, meet with a couple of friends or meet new people and have a couple of nice beers and chat. Um, I also felt that, um, you know, that I didn't want to carry the same stuff that everybody else does at the time in, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, most bars, uh, were, uh, you know, they had one beer on tap or, you know, two beers on tap. And one of them was probably old style from sure. Um And I thought, you know, let's do, you know, like there's, there's a few good beers that, uh, uh, you know, cause it was the sort of the dawn of the craft beer era, but I thought we're going to carry better beers. Um, and I had, some examples, um, you know, I had been to some places that were thinking of themselves as being like beer bars or microbrewery bars, you know, things. Uh, and um, I thought that was the way to go. And, um, and, and that's what we did. And it was a little weird at first because people would just walk in and like, you know, I have an old style and <laughs> But I don't have old style. Well, how about Bud Light? No, I don't have Bud Light either. You know, it's like, and they're like, what kind of place yeah. is this? <laughs> what do you have? Yeah. What do you have? And you know, at that time, I'm I'm gonna just recommend something uh that's not too weird. Uh, and maybe it's an anchor steam. Uh or you know, maybe it's a Pilsner Cal or something like that. And um we were lucky uh there was there was a cult beer in chicago at that time and some of it was because there were a lot of sort of expats from uh you know the michigan diaspora in uh in chicago but you know we 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 actually had bells bells beer here and um i kind of figured right away that like there were only three or four bars in Chicago that carried like Bell's Amber Ale or, you know, Bell's Kalamazoo Stout. And people went out of their way to go to those places. 
And so I, you know, I talked to Larry Bell and I said, you know, I know you guys really don't do anything like this, but what if I scanned your uh, logo and made, made a Bell's neon and put it in my window? And he said, oh yeah, that's, that's great. I'll, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll throw you a keg, uh, a free keg to help pay for it. I put that neon in the window and it was like, it was magic. <laughs> all, all these people, uh, you know, they're riding by on the Clark bus and they'd see, oh, wow, here's a bar that has, that has bells. <laughs> it's like, and so I kind of figured out that like, uh, you know, carrying certain beers actually in and of itself drew a crowd. And, um, and I ran with that. I'm, I'm thinking as 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 you're saying that the the line from a Christmas story of the uh, the soft glow of electric sex gleaming in the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was just uh, it it definitely worked right away, um, and uh, you know we we had a few beers that were a little less special that we kind of slowly phased out and um you know i tried to carry a little bit better selection of you know bourbons and scotches things like that um we always even from the get-go tried to carry something a little bit better in the wine category than most beer bars at that time or actually most neighborhood taverns at that time uh, if they carried wine at all, it was always just terrible, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> uh, and I said, no, no, you, you have to kind of, uh, if you're going to preach quality, you need to preach it across the board. And uh, so, you know, I was starting out with the idea uh, that this was going to be a place that, that, revolved around better beer and uh very few gimmicks um i i just couldn't get into having trivia night and all that kind of stuff and i also you know kind of felt like people just want a place that it's the, it's the same every night you go there and it's like oh there's no there's tonight there's a really loud band playing so we're gonna leave you know yeah. it's like you know, um, we had a, I had a cool, uh, 1959 Seaberg jukebox and I filled it with music from that period when the jukebox was new. And, uh, so, you know, we had a kind of, um, a little bit quirky kind of music and the, the, the decor was, you know, old almost like old English tavern kind of decor. Um, but I think that people right away uh, saw that we were different. You know, there, there's actually, you know, there's 10 bars in the neighborhood and most of them uh, are playing the bears game and had some pinball machines and carried, uh, you know, old style and Miller and Bud and pbr um and we were the one place that was kind of it wasn't so much what we did carry it was almost as just as much of what we weren't doing 
that made us appealing. And uh, we also, we kind of, you know, we, we inherited a clientele from the place that was here before. And some of those people sort of had to go <laughs> in order for us to be successful because this was one of these old man bars where, you know, the language was really foul and sometimes the language was racially insensitive. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I went around and I said, you know, I can't change the way you guys feel. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, we're going to, things are going to be changing around here and we're going to welcome all people. And if you're uncomfortable with that, then, you know, I'm sure there's another bar close by that that might be a better fit. And uh, some of them responded with a couple of expletives and, and we didn't see them anymore. And a few of them said, oh, it's kind of refreshing you know, to have some new faces in here. And, and uh, so some people stayed. But most of our clientele uh, in the first year or so were new customers who maybe never even uh, never even considered coming into the old place or they were new in the neighborhood or, you know, they made a point of coming up here because we had Bell's Amber Ale on tap, you know? Um, how this, I am probably going to phrase this in an indelicate way and I don't mean to, but, um, sticking to your convictions of what you wanted the bar to be was that difficult in the face of where hospitality bar trends etc sort of have migrated to over the last 20 or so years um you know at, at every phase of our existence um there's always been different challenges uh, based on the direction that the hospitality industry is, is going, uh, you know, in our early days when we were a real pioneer um, it was difficult because not everybody understood um, what we were doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the person said, well, what do you have? You know, this is a weird bar. Where's the TV set? You know, what the Cubs are playing, you know? Um, so we were weird in that we were not the, you know, I, I always call it the, um, the Irish pizza sports bar. Um, because that's kind of what a lot of bars in Chicago in the, you know, seventies, eighties and early nineties were, and, you know, we weren't that. But then there was sort of this little golden era uh, that followed in which, um, you know, the craft beer um, thing was really exploding and we became very identified with it. Um, we were, um, you know, ahead of the curve, but a lot of people were jumping on the bandwagon. Um, but and so we we had a you know period where we really owned the category uh everybody wanted to you know like 
what are they doing that's so great because they're packed all the time and uh we were we were packed all the time that's when we grew so you know we we bought the building we expanded into the back we put a patio in outside we bought the building next door we expanded into there and you know we went from 60 seats to 300 seats and we went from eight draft lines to you know 60 you know 72 draft lines today um and uh so then the next challenge is that okay we don't own the category anymore because you can go to a bowling alley now and order nice beer and and you know there was a time when we're going god i wish there were more breweries in chicago so we could feature some more local beer and you know be careful what you ask for because uh then we wind up with 250 breweries that all have tap rooms and are all vying for the same customer that we have so we we now um we don't sell as much beer as we used to sell because um there's so many other places to get good beer um the the audience uh has changed and you know we don't don't just compete with bars restaurants and breweries now you know people have so many entertainment options in their homes people have kegerators and they have draft beer in their kitchen um i i remember on a previous podcast you were also talking about the rise of recreational marijuana as well yes uh you know the the uh that has normalized now it's just something that people take for granted there are you know people that just stay home people tend to stay home when they use uh recreational uh cannabis and that's yep. probably a good thing that they're not driving or riding their bikes or and stuff uh but um you know a lot of people who maybe on a wednesday night 10 years ago would have uh walked over to their neighborhood tavern and had a few beers and chatted with some people now uh they eat a gummy and um veg out in front of netflix you know <laughs> it's like uh so we we compete against that as well I, I do think that the the in general the audience for uh a place like ours has shrunk a little bit the options that people have um have grown such that our piece of the customer pie is smaller. Um, I do think that, you know, something that's definitely a trend uh, now is that people seem to be drinking less in general and young people, uh, an awful lot of young people don't drink at all. Uh, it, there's, there's some real changes in, uh, our potential audience. Um, and, you know, just as in the past, we pivot a little bit, uh, so that we are, we remain relevant to enough people to be viable. So if more people are not drinking or they're sometimes are always drinking like non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic cocktails, 
um, we're going to offer them. And we do, and they sell really well. Um, if it doesn't make sense for us to stay open till two o'clock in the morning anymore, because not very many people seem to be going out late, uh, then, you know, we're going to, um, you know, adjust our opening hours uh, to stay viable. So, yeah, we don't stay open late any, anymore. Um, if, you know, because of the work from home movement and other trends, um, more people seem to be coming in during the day. We're going to bump up our staff during the day uh, to meet that need. So, you know, there's never been a time when we weren't analyzing what was going on in the room and tweaking our concept to be relevant for that particular time. And I would say that in the last, since the pandemic, um, the amount of tweaking that we have to do it has been, you know, more frequent and, uh, you know, we have to really pivot more often than we ever have before. And, yeah. you know, the history of the tavern business has always been about change. Um, while it always seems like, oh, the neighborhood tavern's always been there. It's always, it's always the same. No, it's not the same. It's always changed. Um, in the 1950s, taverns were, threatened by tv and you know the the guy with the lunch pail coming home from the factory uh stopped coming to the tavern he kept going home to watch the six o'clock news instead yeah and so what do we do to you know pivot to you know stay viable so some places put tvs in um people a lot of rest places added food that never had food before um and, uh, you know, they, they changed to meet the customer that they had at that time. And that's what we do now. So before we started uh, re recording, um, you had mentioned that uh, recently you've had some introspective thoughts about uh, what you called setting the table for the rest of your life. And... I guess in your own words, what does that mean for you and Hopleaf now? Well, um, you know, like I started working in um, this business like 50 years ago and I just turned 70 and uh, I, I feel like I, I really want to step back from the everyday management of Hopleaf. Uh, I, I need, you know, I need to start thinking about the uh, succession and what we want to do with uh, Hopleaf. Um, there's all kinds of things that I could do. I could, of course, I could sell the place. Um, and there are interested parties. There always have been. Um but uh and, and that may still happen at some point but um right now i'm not really ready for that um so you know we have a lot of longtime employees here we have a bartender who's been here for 31 years 
Uh, we have a lot of other people who have been here for 10 or more years. And uh, I have thought, well, I'm going to like give them a chance to um, take over a lot of things that I have done. I think that they, you know, like they know what I would do. Uh, you know, the, what would Michael do? <laughs> That's yeah. kind of, kind of it. Um, and to make that um, more palatable, because a lot of people that work here don't want me to step back. Uh, they're like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, you, you, you got to stay, you know, it's like, well, you can't stay forever. And, and um, so uh, as of, you know, my, my birthday was January 4th and I said, well, happy belated to yeah. January as of January 4th. Uh, I'm off of salary. Uh, I don't work for hop leaf Inc anymore. Um, I, you know, if there is a profit at the end of the year, I'm not going to take any dividends or bonuses from the revenues of Hopleaf. Um, I am obviously I'm, my name is, you know, still on the papers and I will renew the liquor license and things like that. But basically, uh, what my, um, uh, the revenue that I'm going to live off of is going to be the building. You know, we, my wife and I own the two adjoining buildings that Hopleaf is in. Hopleaf Inc. pays us rent. Uh, the rent we charge is at market value. Uh, and um, so that's sort of our retirement plan. And frankly, that would be our retirement plan, even if we sold the business, because I'm not very interested in selling the buildings. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time um, fixing these 1896 era buildings. And uh, if you've been to Hopleaf, uh, anybody that's listening, uh, you know that the the interior of Hopleaf is sort of a museum of old Bruriana that's on the walls and it's so every, wonderful. Yeah. Every single piece has a story behind uh how we got it and what it is. And I kind of want that to stay in place for the time being. Uh so um I'm you know this is a first step. I'm gonna see what happens this year. And you know if if the staff can, uh, you know, thrive uh, as the people that make more of the decisions than that I used to make, then that's great. That, that, you know, that's the first step perhaps to some sort of um, employee ownership or something like that. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm, I want to travel more. If I'm in Chicago, if I'm not traveling and I feel uh, okay on a day, I'm, I'm going to come over here and stop and have a beer. I'm going to sit at the end of the bar uh, and with some of the older customers that have been coming here for years and 
maybe I'll be that guy that the curmudgeonly <laughs> founder owner guy who sits at the end of the bar and talks about how great everything used to be. And, uh, Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. That's but I, I like that you're thinking about that though, right? Because when you do give up control, for lack of a better word, the first time somebody does something that conflicts with what you would have done, I imagine that's got to be. It, it sounds like you're already thinking about that. Well, you know, uh, well, I we're recording this on uh, the 11th, so we're recording this a week after your birthday. Maybe it's already happened. I have. Um, turned over over the last few years uh i have been turning over different things like you know i haven't done payroll for a long time um i you know i don't deal with uh the insurance issues anymore um you know i have an office manager that does that and then you know but but kind of maybe more importantly to the customer is that I found like a really, really great beverage manager. And she has in most ways taken over the purchasing of uh, beer, wine, and spirits. And she's developed a more uh, complicated uh, cocktail program than I would have ever done. She has brought um, some breweries onto our menu that I probably wouldn't have, but uh, I, once I learn about these beers and try them and meet the people behind them, I'm going, yeah, listen, you you hit that nail on the head. Uh, I probably would have not been drawn to them. Uh, but, uh, I'm glad that you, you did this. And so I've been introducing her over the last few years to important people in the business and, um, sharing knowledge. She's, you know, very open to anything that I suggest, but what has happened to me is that I've been very open to things that she suggests as well. And so I feel very confident that uh, Hopleaf's beer program, if, if I actually think that it's, it's in better hands now than if I stuck around, because the thing is, is that, you know, I've been doing it so long that I, I, it's very hard not to get into some ruts and uh, there's a lot of new things happening that, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not finding instantly appealing, whereas she's more curious about some of these things. And so I'm really happy with that. And, um, you know, I have other managers in other aspects of the business that I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident that they're going to, in general, while living up to our basic philosophy and keeping the concept what it it is and what I want it to be, I think that they're prepared to uh, you know move forward as you have to do. You can't get into a rut. And I think I'm not going away. 
uh, I'm, I'm still, you know, a part of it, obviously, because I own the building. I, I want a successful business in that building. And uh, I don't want the business to fail. Um, I think, though, you, you, you can't hang on forever. And there will come a time, no matter what, where I wouldn't be able to, you know, that just the, it's, it's a, it's a physical job. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And I, um, you know, you need to let go. Um, and who knows, you know, I, I, I have taught, I don't have any, my wife and I don't have kids, so there's no like, um, succession plan going to uh, our kids or anything we do have some nieces and nephews and grand nieces and grand nephews maybe 10 years from now one of them will say you know like i i'm interested in being a part of this business um great <laughs> uh uh but i i can see that right now uh i'm hanging on to being the the founder owner i'm still in many ways the face of the place i see that i will still do some events here uh you know i i i do sort of beer 101 seminars with groups of people i'll be involved in the charitable activities that uh hopleaf has always been involved with we you know we our big supporters of our local elementary school. Um, I'm going to keep on that. Um, the relationship that we have with our, you know, our, our neighbors and the city and government and the Illinois liquor control commission and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that still falls in my hands. Um, and that's Okay. But if, you know, if I want to you know, take that long plan, but never uh, accomplish trip to Japan or something, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to um, worry about, like, how does that fit in with Hopleaf's schedule, you know? Uh, and uh, it, at the end of this year, we'll see how this goes. Uh, so we, you know maybe it will make sense to find uh, someone to buy the place. Um, but I'm going to try to um, try to hang on to it and, and let people who I trust um, run it. And, you know, I'll always be in the background. Uh, anybody has a question. <laughs> about something uh i'm 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 always here uh, or i'm i'm a email away yeah um i think you know a lot of it has to do with you know my my dad um he he was a he was born in 1915 so the depression uh really had an impact on on his life he dropped out of school right after 7th grade to go to work um, he got lucky uh, and learned a trade and worked in a machine shop. The trouble is, is that he decided, you know, like, or he didn't decide, he, he just couldn't bring himself to retire. And he worked till he was 86. 
and uh, on his, you know, when he's in the hospital in his last days, one of the things he said is, "Whatever you do, don't don't do what I did." Uh, you know, like he said, I I, I worked too long, and I, I there's all this stuff I would have liked to have done, and I didn't do any of it. And you know, the last thing you want to do in your life is to be on your deathbed and have regrets. And he 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 did, and and you know he kind of made me promise to, uh, to not follow in that footstep. And so I I think that I'm I'm listening to him a little bit and saying like I, I'm going to try to maintain a relationship with this business, and and I'm going to try to be you know involved on the periphery and still be the you know, the founder owner, but I'm going to go out there and, and live a little and do some things. And I've already done that for the last few years. I've been taking longer trips and, and, uh, getting away. Um, but even when I travel now, I find myself, you know, um, (laughs) going online and, and arranging private events at the bar and stuff like that. And I, I think that, no, I need to really get away, you know, like where I'm, I'm not thinking, you know, maybe two or three days go by and I'm not looking at the numbers on the POS uh, at Hopkeef. Uh So I, I'm, I'm listening to my dad a little bit. I think that's wonderful. I, I, I love that, that those, those lessons, those conversations, you know, didn't fall on deaf ears. Um, I think that's it's it's a it's a lovely tribute for him as well. Yeah, I, I and, and I gotta say that you know my my dad was a super blue collar guy, you know, uh, and he lived long enough. He didn't live long enough to see our second big expansion, but he lived long enough to see what we did after we bought the building and put the kitchen in and put the patio in and. And he he just loved it. I mean, he thought that this was just great. You know, like I think there were probably some times in my my early life that he was like wondering, like I don't know about my boy. You know, <laughs> what's it? I don't know if he's going to be uh, a success. So he was absolutely thrilled that uh, you know that I did this thing and. Um, I think while, you know, this was not his trade in any way, uh, he was very impressed at what, um, you know, we created here at, at Hot Leaf and, and, uh, he, he was proud of it and that made me very happy. I think I can speak for all beer drinkers, um, who have had the, the the good fortune of of crossing your threshold into in, into that bar that um, we're all really grateful that you created it and that you um, had this space and have this space um, that has influenced beer and made us better drinkers and given us a space for conversation and exploration and flavor and uh, just camaraderie. So. Um, I, I, as a drinker who's been there, um, not nearly enough in my life. I live just a little bit too far away, but um, I'm enormously grateful for Hop Leaf and all of your contributions. And 
Um, I hope that folks are still walking in and seeing you at the end of the bar for a long time to come when you're not out living your life. Yeah. And and I want that to be, you know, I, I think that one of the reasons that, you know, a lot of people in my staff uh, are a little, you know, concerned and wary of um, me stepping back is that, like, you know, they'll, they'll be waiting on somebody. They'll be at a table. They'll, they'll be tending bar. And so many customers say, Hey, is Michael here? <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, identify um, with me personally as well as the bar. And I think that one of the differences between Hopleaf and a lot of other bars and restaurants today is that we're not owned by a big hospitality group with three dozen investors. Yeah. You know, when I started working in bars, um, people, you know, they went to Joe's bar to see Joe. You right. Know? Like they're, yeah. they're as they're, advertised. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now um, uh, most places that you go to don't even have a discernible owner. Um, you know, they're owned by, uh, like I said, a hospitality group or uh, a group of investors who, uh, and then they maybe have a working partner or a management team. uh, And sometimes that management team stays for a while and then they all move to the next acquisition to run it. And so again, they have the B team running the first place. And um, in a place like ours that has been, you know, a single location owner managed place. Um, I have a, a role and a responsibility that's a little different than a manager of a place who's working for a hospitality group. And I do think that for a lot of customers, that's one of the things they like about the hop leaf and there are a few other places in town that are like that, that, you know, there is a single owner um, and uh, not somebody that's trying to create an empire. We have had many opportunities over the years to open second lo- locations or, you know, expand, uh, have a location at the airport or, you know, like people say, I've got a group of investors. They really like your brand. And we'd like to open uh, Hopleaf in Minneapolis or in Naperville or whatever. And I always just, you know, I said, you know, uh, that's I'm I'm honored that you, um, you know, you want to do this, but there can only be one Hopleaf, and I I don't I I can't spread myself thin. Uh, another location will never be the same as this. Um, I never had any desire to, um, franchise or open other locations and, uh, grow, grow the brand as they said. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's the strength of the place. Unfortunately, as people grow places, I think, uh, each individual place gets 
thinner and less interesting. Well, my great wish is that Hop Leaf remains interesting for a very, very long time to come. I, I, I think it will. And I, I, you know, the world of the, the, the world of beer is it's so infinitely fascinating uh, that, um, you know, I, I can't imagine getting bored with it. Uh, I think there's always new things to present, new things to learn. Um, and I've always like had the feeling that I don't want to be known just as a beer bar. I want to be a really great uh, pub or tavern bar, whatever you want to call us, that just happens to have this great uh, selection of really fantastic beer. I think you have to be a good place first. I mean, I think Hopleaf would be a really good place to go, even if we had three beers on tap and, you know, uh, much, you know, less uh, curated list of, you know, spirits and wine and stuff. I think it's a great place made extra special by the fact that we have one of the best selections of beer, wine, and spirits anywhere. Um, I, I think it, you know, like we function at many different levels. We, yes, we function as a great beer destination, but we also function as a neighborhood gathering place. We function as a respite from, uh, you know, the your your uh, work life and all these other things. A place to come and relax and chat and have a really great beer. I'm already counting the days until uh, I can be back uh, within the confines of of, of your bar. Um, Michael, congratulations, first of all, on you know this new phase in life and um, for everything that you've done. And thanks for thanks for being on the show this week. I appreciate it. Sure, uh, I, I hope that we can um, do this again. There's you know there's lots of stuff in the bigger world of beer that uh, I have been observing and thinking about that we can talk about that you know just from my uh, you know, perspective, uh, because it's it's a really interesting time in the beer industry, like no other. The next time I'm in Chicago, I will bring the mics um, and we'll sit at the bar and we'll have that conversation. Great. Do you have a hop leaf memory you'd like to share with me? You can, or you can also just get in touch with questions, comments, guest suggestions, or whatever else is on your mind. Email is the best way. It's John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, our merch page, which has some This Week in Rauk Beer goodness going on right now. And you can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. Quick note, if you are a smoked beer lover, This Week in Rauk Beer has a robust Facebook group. Just search This Week in Rauk Beer in that little search bar there, or follow us on Instagram or X at TW Rauk Beer. All About Beer also has its own social media channels at All About Beer. It's on all the major platforms. 
And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com for our ad kit or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer where a few bucks goes a long way to help us out. Speaking of that, here is a quick word from this episode's sponsor, which is the Best of Craft Beer Awards. Attention Brewers, registration is now open for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards. Now in its 10th year, this is a BJCP-sanctioned event judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders. Judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. In addition to traditional styles, new this year is the Smoothie Sour Style category and the Collaboration Competition. Learn more and register your beers through January 31st, 2024 by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. As always, don't forget the All About Beer podcast channel. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And probrewer.com is your weekly spot or your daily spot, really, but your weekly spot for original articles from the All About Beer team. Go check out probrewer.com. For this show, Mitch Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.